Well, when I was young, I loved to play baseball. I remember being in Little League when I was stopped and told very seriously, you don't step on the foul line when you enter and exit the field. It's bad luck. Whoa. Okay, I don't want bad luck. And you know if you've ever played baseball, in the same way, you just don't talk about a no-hitter while a pitcher is throwing a no-hitter. Because basically, if you say the word no-hitter, you've just cursed the pitcher. They take curses pretty seriously in baseball. Just talk to any Red Sox fan. Maybe you've heard something similar growing up as you were skipping across the sidewalk and making sure to avoid stepping on the cracks. Someone told me that would break my mother's back. Now, sure, those can just be silly superstitions, but when you spend time hanging out with a football coach who puts on shorts when it's snowing outside because they win if he wears shorts, but they lose if he wears pants, you have got to pause and wonder about that. These little superstitions to bring favor or to avoid curse are everywhere. And for every person that has avoided walking under a ladder or thrown salt over their shoulder or knocked on wood, it reveals something interesting about us. Deep down, we intuit that there is a force in the world that gives blessing or curse. Isn't that interesting? I think that's why the stories like The Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Star Wars or Beauty and the Beast are so popular. They connect to something deep within each of us. We believe that there's something or some force or some person at work in the world bringing blessing or curse. And whether we would call that luck or fate or karma or even like Star Wars, simply the force, what it reveals is that within every human is some type of recognition that there's something or someone that is at work bringing blessing or a curse. In the book of Romans, in chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Listen, whether we avoid thinking about it or we try to suppress it, 
The way that we think about blessing and curse matters. Whether we like it or not, the movies and the stories and the superstitions, they actually do impact the way that we think about curse and the way that we think about blessing. Maybe you've never really thought about it. But let me tell you why this is so important. We desire blessing, not curse. It's at the root of every one of those movies. It's what makes the football coaches wear the same pair of dirty socks to every game. We desire blessing, not curse. And when you look at every religion on the planet, you'll find that they have a system set up for blessing and curse. Do these things and you'll receive blessing. Do these and you're cursed. Maybe you know someone who lives their entire life in complete bondage to superstitions such as the system of blessing and curse. Maybe they avoid every crack in the sidewalk. You know they are not about to carry a mirror. Or if they do, they're going to do so with a rabbit's foot in their pocket. If their bill at the store is $6.66, they are definitely going to buy an additional pack of gum. If I just described your life, you're probably pretty nervous that I'm going to open this umbrella. But you know what's fascinating to me? What's fascinating to me is that people live their lives like this and they become a slave to so many small rules that they must live with incredible anxiety. For example, what are the rules for step on a crack, break your mama's back? Does this only apply to sidewalks or is it also for asphalt? And do the cracks that just appear and they're crooked, do those count or is it the original cracks that were there when the concrete was poured. Do all of the cracks count or are some exempt because they're too small? And if they are too small, how small is too small? And listen, if this rule extends to tile floors, I am going to crawl into the floor and cry. If you think I'm being silly, then consider how people act when they take curse seriously. When you do, you are absolutely concerned with keeping the rules and you talk about such things. So what about you? When you think of curse, what do you think? Is it a big deal for you? Or do you find yourself just shrugging it off as some type of fairy tale? How you think about curse matters because it changes the way you live. And in scripture, blessing and curse are taken very seriously. I've found that in much of my reading of the Old Testament, my own understanding of the words blessing and curse, it doesn't always line up with scripture. For example, in Genesis 27, when Esau discovered that Jacob had tricked their father Isaac into blessing him, the scripture says that Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He says, bless me as well, Father. Have you only one blessing? I found myself wondering right along with Esau, like, what's the big deal? Just toss out another blessing, Isaac. But what we find in scripture is that blessing and curse are not as lightweight as we might assume. 
Blessing and curse are taken very seriously in Scripture. Because remember, it changes how we live. So when we find these words of curse and blessing in Scripture, we shouldn't just assume a fairy tale mindset. We should pause and hear what Scripture, what Almighty God is saying to us. So as we study this text together, I want a question to be at the core. How are people to receive God's blessing? Because that's really at the heart of the book of Galatians. Paul is responding to a group of people that were teaching. If you wanted to receive God's blessing, if you wanted to earn favor with God, you must continue to keep the law. They were saying that faith in Jesus was not enough. You must also keep the law. And so Paul is responding with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has been awesome to study through Galatians with you. And in the passage we were just in last week, we saw that Paul used the example of Abraham to establish the doctrine of justification by faith. We saw that Abraham was counted righteous before he ever displayed obedience to the requirement for circumcision. It was Abraham's faith in the promise of God that counted to him as righteousness. But since Abraham came before the law, the argument might be made that once the law had been given, justification would come from law keeping. So if you'll notice in our section of scripture today, the word it begins with is for. This is a connecting word. It connects the two sections together. Paul has just established that justification is by faith. And now he is going to establish the inverse, that adherence to the law does not produce justification. Jump in in verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. What does Paul have in mind here? Where exactly is it written? Well, he's referencing Deuteronomy 27 and 28. And after giving the law to the Israelites, God made plans for them to be reminded of all the blessings and the curses in the law. Before they were to enter the promised land, the instructions were for them to stand on two mountainsides reciting a litany of blessings and curses. This had to have been an amazing moment. The entire nation of Israel confirming God's law as he was fulfilling his promise in leading them into the promised land. Imagine the entire nation of Israel declaring in a natural amphitheater, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them and all the people shall say, amen. This is what Paul had in mind here. And as we've already seen in our study of Galatians, the problem is that we just cannot keep the law. And since no one is able to keep the law, everyone is under a curse. It says, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
I love how in the ESV, the translators have used the word here, rely. Other translations would say, as many as are of the works of the law. But I really like the picture that comes with the word rely. To rely on something is to be dependent on or to trust. And if this reliance is for salvation, the picture might very well be like a person hanging off the side of a cliff, only being held up by a chain. As long as that chain holds, the person is saved. But the moment that one link in that chain breaks, well, you get the picture. James 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Paul is teaching that those who hold to works as their salvation are clinging to a chain that will not hold. Not because the law itself is flawed, but because our ability to keep it is lacking. Martin Luther explains it this way. Those who do the works of the law do not fulfill it because they always fall short of what is required. Being circumcised is only a beginning. It is not completion of the law. The truth is that no one can be accepted by God through the law unless it's kept in all its perfection. God told Abraham in Genesis 17, walk before me and be blameless. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Do you want to earn right standing through the law? Keep the entire law perfectly. And for a Jew who believes that righteousness comes through the law, they are going to do everything they can do to keep it perfectly. And that described so many Jews at this time. The religious leaders, they were obsessed with keeping the law because they believed that it brought God's blessing. So Paul says, listen, that's not what scripture says about Abraham. And do you really think you can keep the law? (laughs) Really? The whole Law, believe me, they tried. Rabbis would spend all day discussing the most microscopic details of the law and then formulating rules for others to follow to ensure that each law was kept properly. One of the laws that's very clear is the commandment to keep the Sabbath. It's the fourth of the Ten Commandments that are listed in Exodus 20. And the instructions are to abstain from work, and to dedicate the day to the Lord. This is a way to remember the creation account of God working to form the heavens and the earth and all that is in them in six days, but on the seventh day, he rested. And while that may seem pretty clear, sort of like the step on a crack rule, it's not always easy to determine what exactly constitutes working on the Sabbath. And we laughed about it with the rules for stepping on a crack. But think about it for a moment. If you wanted to go on a walk on the Sabbath, could you? And if so, how far could you walk? And at what pace could you walk before a leisurely stroll that was restful suddenly became work? And we know it can become work because this is how many people get their exercise. So how far is too far? 
and at what pace is too fast? Think about this. Would you like to eat on the Sabbath, have a meal? How many minutes could you spend cooking? How many dishes could you juggle at one time before your cooking becomes work? Paul experienced this. He knew this. He knew the difficulties of this well. He said in chapter 2, if anyone, if anyone could get this right, it would have been us Jews, but we know we can't. Paul knew the weight of the curse of living under the law. He knew it well. And this is why he was so, so passionate about the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that through the law, all are cursed because all have fallen short. He wrote these words in Romans chapter 3, verse 20 and following. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The problem with the law is not the law itself, The problem with the law is our sin. Since we cannot keep the law, the law cannot bless us. Let's keep reading in Galatians 3, verse 11, where it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Righteousness cannot come by the law. This is evident. It is clear. Reminds me of what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The law does not justify. God did not give us the law to make us good. He gave the law to reveal sin. No one is justified before God by the law. So then how Do we obtain right standing with God? The righteous shall live by faith. This is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, which must have been a special verse for Paul because it's also the theme verse for him in Romans. Keep reading verse 11. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. In verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. But the law is not of faith. Why? Because the justification through the law requires human effort. This is opposed to faith, which is in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of what Mark Liebert said just a couple weeks ago. He said, we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus. Justification is not earned. It is given. This is not by our accomplishments or doing enough right things. The law relies on works, but faith relies on Jesus. 
Verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed. This is a word that means to buy back out of slavery. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming cursed for us. Don't miss the strength of verse 13. Notice it doesn't say that Christ tried to redeem us from the curse of the law. It doesn't say that Christ made it possible for us to be redeemed from the curse of the law. Paul was convinced that Christ accomplished something definitive on the cross. His death was entirely effective. He accomplished precisely what he came to accomplish. He redeemed his people from the curse of the law. 2 Corinthians 5:21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The curse that we deserved was legally transferred from us to him. Keep this in mind as we are reading here in Galatians, especially the second half of verse 13, where it says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This quotation from Deuteronomy 21-23 does not mean that a person was cursed by God because he was hanged. Rather, to be hanged on a tree signified that a person had been cursed. To hang on a tree was a demonstration of God's curse on that person. In other words, listen, listen. Christ was not cursed because he was crucified. That's not what this means. At the cross, the curse of the law was transferred from us to the sinless Son of God. In that old cursed cross, we see the wrath of God against the sin of humanity. And this is what makes the cross so important. This public display of power, the power of the gospel, is meant to provide us certainty about the sinfulness of sin and the wrath of God. Yet in the same cursed cross, we see more clearly than anywhere else the power of of divine grace. God endured God's own curse to save us from our sins. And here's why, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want us to take a moment and reflect together are you involved in any system of blessing and curse other than faith in Jesus Christ? It's really easy for us to get stuck in anxiety, wondering if faith is enough. We drift back into a system of works to earn favor with God. There was a survey by Pew Survey Research. It was taken in 2017. And it asked the question of Protestants, not Catholics. This is of Protestants only. The question that was asked was, what is needed for salvation? What is required to get into heaven? Is it faith alone 
or is it both good deeds and faith? The survey revealed that 52% of Protestants, over half, thought that faith and good deeds were required for salvation. Friends, hear this. You cannot do more than Christ. Why are we running around with our heads to the ground, worrying about stepping on a crack and living in anxiety and fear that we haven't done enough to get into heaven? You can't do more than Christ. Hear this truth today. Jesus Christ stands before you, offering freedom from sin and curse. All, all of you have the opportunity, the offer of God's full and complete blessing in Christ Jesus. Will you lift your eyes to him today? Lord, we so easily look down, busying ourselves at trying to keep the rules and do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing, worrying so much that we've done enough. Help us to hear and know and believe the truth of this scripture today, that in Christ Jesus, it is enough. Thank you for the grace, for the freedom from sin that is offered and for the joy that that can bring for all who believe. We pray and give thanks through Christ our Savior. Amen.